0: This is the One Step Better Podcast. Helping small businesses make wins each and every week.
1: Welcome back to the One Step Better Podcast. I'm Matt Patrick, and today I'm here with Greg Henderson. And I'm not in my normal seat. I'm in Mike's normal seat, but uh, I get to play... A host today, and I will probably screw this up early. (laughs) So, uh, today we're going to be talking about the cost of a bad hire and how to make the hiring process less subjective. We're going to go into some details about our hiring processes, what's worked well for us, what hasn't, and then how do we establish some of the rhythms we think as far as uh, creating our scorecard on how to best start the process of getting to an objective process with our hiring today. Sounds good. So, before we do that, always got to do the fun question and this is my favorite part usually of the podcast. Sure.
2: But, um, so,
1: what was your first ever job?
2: So my I guess my very first job actually really got, you know, good pay, consistent pay money, right? Cuz you you can mow grass and you Good know, pay? And a first
1: job that doesn't easily happen. Well, that's true. That's true. That's
2: true. Um, I I guess I would have to go back to I clerked or kind of was a um, a clerk for my mom's interstate billing service in the summertime. Um, so we had you know had to walk in and clock in yeah. and clock in clock out oh, yeah. for for lunch and everything. And I was responsible for faxing. Uh, for filing, uh, for filing the invoices by um, purchase order number yep. and making sure that they hit the right file and all that. So. How old were you? I was sixteen.
1: First job, first paycheck. Remember? Do you remember your first paycheck with like real money Ugh. or like a
2: paycheck? I don't. I remember. Yeah. I remember getting a pay stub. Thought that was really cool. So
1: my girls right now. So Mallory worked for us last summer and the summer before that actually. But my girls right now are working fast food jobs mm-hmm. so they both are working at sonic the same sonic um they do not have direct deposit there and they have a live paper check and it is the first one's always amazing you're like who's fika and how come he has my money <laughs> but they they love the you know, they're starting to physically see the tangible part of it between their check and their That's right and uh working which is great um my first job that I worked for my dad when I was young, like 12, 13 years old. I remember getting a real check and going to the bank, and I think we just cashed it. I don't think I had a bank account at that point. My first job, not for my dad, um, I worked at a soap factory. They bottled soap. They didn't make the soap. They, I, I'm assuming they were a wholesaler of soap, and they got soap brought in, and we filled up bottles and cased them and wow. packaged them. I quickly realized that mass production was not for me. <laughs> so, I worked there for like 3 or 4 months one summer, I think. I was probably 15, 16. Years what did old. you do?
2: Did you have to like screw bottled, the cap on? I bottled
1: the soap up and put it in a box and then I got to learn how to use a tape machine at the yeah. time. I was like 15. What a, jo- what a boring job! What a boring job! And then the next summer, I was smart enough to. Th- I ended up being a camp counselor, which is a super fun. If you're a 16, 17, 18 year old, go be a camp counselor somewhere. It's the best job. You basically get to beat up on 10 year old little kids yeah. and throw dodgeballs at them and stuff. It was super fun. That was my first job. Um, uh, and then in college, I worked a bunch of odd jobs, but. Yeah, my first fun job that wasn't for my parents or from my parents' friends was as a camp counselor, and I did that for three years. Wow. Yeah.
2: So, Greg, do you remember, like, the first interview you ever had? Um, It wasn't for my first job. Yeah. Um, My mom didn't own the, the, the company. But I just. But you were self hired. I was self hired. Hey, yeah, he's right? going to come yeah, work he's here. Like, hey, I've got somebody that's going to help us out for the summer.
1: I, I got to have something to do with this kid, and he's he, he'll do something right here. Right. Just paying minimum wage, we're good.
2: Um, And I think I was paying <laughs> yeah. minimum wage. Exactly. Um, and I thought it was just
1: it was great. This I'm a, rich. I was like, this is the greatest <laughs> job ever. Five bucks an hour. Sit down. 3 or whatever. Five bucks an hour. I wasn't in
2: the hot sun pulling weeds. There's not much I like it. But anyway, uh, so the very first interview I remember was. I did four years in the army, and actually did a break in service, and interviewed for a life insurance salesman job, where it is a it is a home based before directed. I mean, before you could uh, you know electronic <laughs> transfer your funds to the insurance company. Yeah, we would walk to your house every month and collect. Wow. Because um, our how old are you? <laughs> no, just <kidding. laughs> you know, no, don't, right? don't answer that question. Um, so our our process was, hey, if I'm in the door, I'm already halfway there, and I can write you some more. That's yeah, right. That's right? So, right. Yeah. But that was my very, I, first, the first time I remember actually interviewing for a job was was there. I was 21.
1: I interviewed – I waited tables and bartended through college, and I interviewed at Applebee's when I was here. In, actually, I guess that's not true. Or Charlie's, which would have been my first one in, in Montgomery, Alabama, when I was an undergrad. And uh, I got the job – I showed up for the interview on time, so I think that was pretty much the requirement at the time. Um, here's, a, here's a mirror. Can yeah, you make it? You're fog? hired. No, that's a little different. I mean, but, yeah, pretty much. Um, so my opposite of that, do you remember the first interview you gave you had to do for somebody
2: and how little training you had when you did it? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I was horrible at it um, because I, you didn't have to interview in, in the Army. And my very last position before I retired, I was in charge of more of a civilian population than soldier population. Mm-hmm. And so we were hiring civilians. Mm-hmm. And so the very first day I walk in, and I've got these tons of resumes you know, that you're, you're scouring through. And I have no idea what I'm looking for. Um, but thank goodness the R-A-T-S, if you will, yeah. kind of racked and stacked the top 10. So I didn't have to worry about What's that. R-A-T-C-S? L- R, L- excuse me, oh. R, uh, O-U-R, A-T-S, R, a- R o- Applicant U- <laughs> Tracking System. got gotcha, you. Gotcha. Oh, On the Our. government side was a little bit different. I thought you were giving me than- another little government no, acronym. No, I don't no, know no. what
1: a R-O-U-T-L-M-N-L-P-U L- P- <laughs> L- M- L- L- is. Um,
2: and so because they, they, they identified the top 10, then we only had to interview the, the 10. And I remember walking in, and I had this great expectation of being so confident that I would know one of these ten that I was going to hire. I was like, "This is. I got this. I like this person. I like yeah. this person." And the I very like first this. lady who walks in is ten minutes late and has a tongue ring in. Now you have to understand at that time we we're dealing with civilians joining to be soldiers and airmen and and navy men. Right? We we had all the branches of the military, and so you. Tongue rings weren't a very popular thing. You can't... Right? So I don't need that image. And so my bias was just she hit it right off the bat. And I gave her bad marks. And thank goodness I had somebody... absolutely hired her. Well, thank goodness (laughs) I had somebody beside me who's been the job a lot longer than me who said, hey, sir, that's... She's probably a a good candidate. Let's get away from that and and focus on the job-related activities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think of the same thing. So I... I uh, was involved in the interviewing process when I was at um, Anderson and Deloitte um, recruiting on campuses for new hires, but also as part of uh, experience hire recruiting at, at one point as I, as I moved up. I had was given zero training other than, here's the questions you need to ask. And it really was, no, no, this is the order in which you ask them, and here's what you ask them. And then when they answer the question, you write it down. And then when you're done, you give it to the recruiter. <laughs> you don't have any think or thought process into us. We created our own questions. Yeah. They'd already filtered it out. And I think I may have asked three or four on that list of 40 questions they were supposed to ask. And I was going, I don't think I did very good, they're a great person. I think they're awesome. Like, yeah, okay. So uh, I just was blown away by how much I let subjectiveness turn into uh, my process. And for years, you know, and, and sometimes your subjectiveness and your gut works out and sometimes it doesn't, but it's, as we've grown, it's been really hard uh, for us to put multiple people through the interviewing process with our team. Okay. So, cause who's available that day? What questions are we going to ask? What are we trying to search for? And so today we're going to talk through the idea of how do we make our hiring presses, uh, hiring processes less subjective. Um, we really started this down the road, what, uh, about three years ago now, two and a half years ago. And we got the idea in reading a book. Um, I think it was the guy who started HubSpot wrote a book. And he basically talked about his process for hiring. And it became really quickly and apparent. goes, if you're doing it all on subjectiveness, you have no chance of, being able to repeat the process, or even have a system to to go about to evaluate candidates on what's good and bad. And then you can't coach and develop them because you don't even know what you're looking for that's different. So what are um, some of the things that you think of when you when you think about objectifying the hiring process?
2: So internally, we read a book called The Ideal Team Player. Correct. And I, I, I love that book. Anytime I talk about... Hiring period is hey go back to to this book it, it, even if you don't adopt exactly what the author Patrick Lincioni, says we you know he's not a sponsor yet but for um, one day yeah um, if even if you don't adopt exactly everything he tells you to the framework around it is ingenious yep. it's the idea that I first have to identify what my ideal candidate is yep before I before I pers- po- post my first job ad. Right, because if I haven't done that homework first, I'm just shooting in the dark.
1: Absolutely. Um, the the framework of that book for us what I what I think is so interesting about it, you know, they talk about the big three in that, which is hungry, humble, and, and I'll say people smart. It's amazing how much that um, is industry agnostic, business, uh, service, or product. It doesn't matter. Those same characteristics of an employee are pretty much golden no matter what industry you're in no matter what job no matter what level so first job middle management upper management those three things are still super key um we took that and ran with it and we formulated some questions and and we didn't i'm sorry i take that back we didn't formulate questions we stole them we flat out stole them from the book absolutely and said hey these are the questions we need to be asking and on top of that, we really want to make sure that we are evaluating people consistently through our process and then making sure we're putting through, through our lenses of us. So what are our values? And then do they hit these three marks? And if there's one of these marks that aren't as good as the others, we are searching for, di- digging into, probing into those areas that we may find that we either need to coach up or is this a person that probably right. is not a fit for us. Right. Yeah. So. What happens when uh, the subjectiveness falls through? What what are some of the traits we kind of see when subjectiveness f- falls through our process more than being consistent with an objective process?
2: Yeah, I think if you rely on your gut and the idea that oh well, I I feel like this person is going to be good for the team, and you and and you have zero objectivity in that in that process in that system. Then what happens is at some point down the line, probably sooner than later, there's going to be a decision that the employee made that is completely opposite of what you wanted them to do. And the reason that is, is because they have their own beliefs, value system, and then you as a company have your own beliefs and value system. And if they don't align, then the outcomes can't be consistent. Because we're 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 coming we're coming at this from a totally different reference point, yep. And so that whatever decision that's going to be made, hopefully it's going to be so benign that it doesn't hurt the the reputation and the and the uh, the brand, or it could be. Yeah,
1: I, I I see this happening a lot. We have multiple people involved in our process, and I'm an eternal optimist, and I would say Shelby's probably an eternal optimist versus. Mike, who's probably more, uh, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but he's more, I'd say, black and white.
2: right? Um, More pragmatic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so as I would go through the process, if they were, gosh, if they were um, an high eye, for instance, I'm pretty much going to say they're great. No matter how good at details they are, hey, they're outbound. They can have a conversation with me. We talk about, we're going to have a beer together. Hey, this is great. Somebody I'd love to hang out with but they don't have the actual skills to do the job that we need them to do, I may not be the best person to put them through that filter. Right. So our process has gone through a very rigid uh, way to identify different things. And so our first one is, do we feel like they have the baseline skills to do the job? So we put them through some forced assessments of – either technical skills or sales skills or Absolutely. clerical skills, whatever we want to do there. Yeah. Then it goes through you and Mike generally, and you guys go through the hungry, humble, smart, identifying if they're a culture fit, but also identifying that if we see there's a weakness in any of those three things, something off on values, something, and you guys really dig into that. Um, I'm assuming I mean, you guys do a really good job. And we've talked about this is we don't get a hundred percent, you don't have to score 100%. Everybody's going to get through that path, and still for us to press you through. It just means we're going to coach – we're going to have to probe into, hey, we think that hunger may be a problem here. Let's let's do some – the next wave of questions, let's go ahead and identify that. Um, obviously, you and Mike, after the fact, we'll conversate after you kind of grade it. We, we put everybody through a grade. We have a very forced assessment with a scorecard, and that scorecard has, hey, this person is a 5 for hunger and an 8 for – humble and a 10 for people smart. We're going to dig into hum- uh, hungry the next time. What have you found after the fact that I guess you saw something different than Mike saw or vice versa? I'm assuming that happens quite a bit.
2: Um, it happens some. And, yeah. and and I really, I think it's important to mention that because more times or not, and, and maybe eight out of 10, maybe seven out of 10 times, we're pretty much correct dialed in. Like we're both a pass pass or we're yeah. both a, yeah. a higher, higher. Um, and so our scorecard is really cool because in the very beginning, we have a first impression. Yep. And I think that's super critical because we all have a bias, right? Yep. We all walk in with, hey, these are our preconceived ideas of what you should be with the, before I even get to know you.
1: Yeah, we've looked at the resume. We've seen their application they hired. We've seen how they've tested and scored on our assessments. We know the role we're trying to fill and going, oh, my gosh, either we're really desperate for a hire, which happens, or, you know— we don't need somebody by but this person here, uh, they have a great resume. I think it could be a good person for us to bring onto the team. So we bring those first impression biases into the first meeting. And it's amazing how often, I'm not uh, how often, but we do have it happen where it was a pass on the first impression. And we'll keep going through the process like, man, we, we really got to bring this person in. This is definitely be a hire, or vice versa. Hey, this person has a perfect resume. They've tested great. And then we go, ooh. There is something here that this probably is not a fit. Right. Um, that first impression, so we basically score people and you said this a minute ago is is higher or or pass. Oh. And if it's pass, pass, it's pass. We don't go any further. But if it's a mix, we'll talk it through. Yep. And if it's higher, higher, we'll obviously bring them to the next step. But we're putting them through a scorecard. I think we grade it one to five. Five. One right. to five. And for each of Hungry, Humble, Smart, and then I think we also grade competence. on- Competence. yeah. Overall competence through the job. That allows us to really make sure we have a consistent methodology. In our world, we also want consistent people interviewing as much as possible. And so you and Mike are pretty much consistently doing that interview at that step. Right. And then the team leader is doing the next step, uh, which is, hey, here's what we see. We try not to bring any pre-biases into that. I don't look at y'all's- Um, scorecard until after I've interviewed. Right. And I don't think they do as well, but that's each individual person. But once again, we're going through the, I think there's a hunger problem here, or I think there's a, I want to dig more into this issue or, Hey, are we sure they're,
2: do they have the background when you have to do this job? Do they have any success in sales or whatever it was? I would be remiss if I don't talk about that first step after the initial assessment is that phone interview. Yeah. I think we clean up a lot of the stuff that Mike and I see because Caitlin does such an excellent job. Yeah,
1: she is excellent about at it. that, She, at that she does a great job of It's very black and white for her, which is what we want in that role. She's got a pretty big funnel. We don't want her to turn the whole funnel off. But if there is major deficiencies, hey, you no-showed our first appointment and you didn't call us. You're not going to get a callback. You're not going to get a callback. Hey, you did 20 minutes beforehand say, I'm having technical issues getting in and I'm calling, calling you and blah, blah, Yeah, that's perfectly fine. How would you communicate if that person was in your team and they couldn't get on internet? It happens. It's a real life thing. Communicate um, how they are responsive. Do they prepare for the interview? Do they know anything about us? Is it, are we just one of many spammed applications they filed or are we one of the job they really, really want? Yeah, That is a critical step in us Filtering through, for some roles we get hundreds and hundreds of resumes, mm-hmm. and for some roles we get almost none. Right, and uh, it's important for us to put that through a filter before we get to you guys. A for your own time sanity's sake, but also, there's no reason to bring somebody on through you guys if if they can't show up on time. Right, like it's just little stuff like that would bother. Yeah, us. I call
2: it the should. Right, mm-hmm. can you answer the should questions correctly? If you can, then I can yeah. teach you the would and the could.
1: Absolutely, thousand percent agree. So. Um, we put them through a scorecard, goes the next step that goes through a pass hire as well. Same kind of scorecard from there. It's going um, generally to me or depending on the role. Sometimes it goes back through Mike or another team leader or depends on what's going on there. But most of the time at that point, we are all in agreement. We want to hire. I'm going through, I put them through a, a pace, which is I try to get them in an informal setting either a lunch or a coffee or a breakfast or something. I want to see them in a natural environment. I'm really doing most of mine is just fit. Is this person someone who needs to be a part of our team? I've already measured confidence. I've already measured hungry, humble, smart. If somebody tells me I think there's a hunger problem, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. questions. Sure. But for the most part, mine is fit, fit, fit.
2: Do you have um, ultimate veto power?
1: Over- I do have ultimate veto power. I very, very, very rarely use it. If it got to me and everybody's all higher, I will play devil's advocate in my conversations with them about why we shouldn't bring this person on or why we should or whatever. But I, if everybody's on board, I'll go with it. If I see a major critical flaw or something comes up or uh, let's say it's even, it could be compensation at that point. Hey, look, hey, well, this is the role for the job. and They're looking for compensation, which is way above our ability to pay them. We're going to have some very frank and open conversation with that candidate and going, hey, look, you're coming into a role that you're going to take a 40% pay cut on versus what you're making now or what your expectations are. How do we get to here? <laughs> with, I, I'm not going to just hire you because you want a job. And, and in a month from now, you go, man, I really can't afford to work here. Well, that doesn't help me or you. Because as we talked about today, the cost of a bad hire is a lot worse than the cost of a good hire.
0: This episode of One Step Better is brought to you by Works a team of payroll and HR experts who help businesses with outsourced HR, payroll, and human capital management solutions. Works is software and service, combining awesome people with the best technology to help you and your team get one step better every day. Check out our website, works.com to explore more employer resources.
1: So, what are some of the consequences of a bad hire you think
2: yeah so I think there's a ton that you can actually hit you can actually hit you know lower the morale of the team if you hire a bad hire um, the productivity goes sc- just screeching to a halt mm-hmm. um, and then it's it's also the the monetary cost right so I think there's a there's a monetary value that you can put pl- that you can place on a on a bad hire if you look at you know, if you Google bad hire right now, you'll see this statistic of it's going to cost you thirty percent of their annual salary. But yeah. what does that really mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a lot of, of other factors that we don't sometimes consider is the cost of the person who's recruiting, how many hours they take in recruiting that single person, how many hours did it take to interview and go through that whole process, one per one you know one person. Now if you have multiple people down the line, gosh. Yep. And then your turnover rate is is what is what is that number, and then you multiply whatever that number is by your turnover rate. And so if you have 100 people and you lose 10—
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, that number is staggering to me. I think there's uh, the non-calculable numbers, right? So I think about the stress induced in the internal conversations you have of uh, over having to manage an employee who's not performing, the stress you live in your life when you have to make a tough decision with an employee who— man, you really like them, and they're not going to ever perform in this job. Right. The stress you do when you have the, oh, my God, did they do the work I them to do or not? I'm relying on them to get this job done. And now I've, most of the time, most small businesses have a limited budget, so I've turned off my funnel to replace them already because I've now found somebody. But the reality of it is now that's a longer delay before I find them again, than the actual person I need. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, a lot of cases, two horses pulling in the same direction – are more efficient than one, but if two horses are pulling in opposite directions, then I'm not more efficient. In right. which case, usually with a bad hire, you've let somebody pull you in a direction and that you shouldn't be going. Either they're causing a bunch of stress in the office with, um, if if it's if it's physical ability to do the job, then you're having to overmanage them. If it's mental or emotional stress and management of them to do the job, which means they are not. Fitting in culture wise, or you've let crazy in the building, or you've had issues with drama that you don't want to deal with as an owner or as a leader, man, those things just, they, you bring all that stuff home. And now you're working, instead of working eight hours, you're really working 24 hours because you're spending 16 hours thinking about the problems you're having in your business. That bad hire creates so much stress and it's not even the dollars. It is the dollars, but at the end of the day, it's really not the dollars. It's the
2: mental stress that just—I think it, that's the hardest right. part. But if you have zero margin, yeah, th- then <laughs> physical dollars then matter. It's too. Dollars I, absolutely. I mean, matter. If you have zero margin, you're expecting this hire to to just increase everything, yeah, and then they just don't. Um, the the book um, uh, Delivering Happiness by yep. Tony Shea has a great quote saying one equals three in his world. Yeah, one mm-hmm. excellent hire equals three people's jobs at least at least mm-hmm. well, you can flip it on its head and do the same thing as a bad hire. <laughs> four, takes bad hires, people, four bad hires equals 45 people. Right. To or three people to do one job because yes. now you're over managing or you're under managing. It's just horrible. So you're, you're completely killing your team's efficiency and productivity when you hire bad. Yeah. You're also killing the morale because now, because I have to fire you. Now everyone's thinking, well, crap. Why haven't you done it? What Well, as an owner, I'll tell you the stress I feel is, oh, my
1: gosh, I let this person into our our ecosystem. And now everybody's going, how did he let this person come in here? This person is a train wreck. And then you have to – and I have to hear it every time we have a social outing after the fact of why did we let X person come into our building? And I'm like, I don't know. I was optimistic, and I was desperate, and they could fog a mirror. Or, like, I know for restaurant owners that we do a lot of work with, it's – I need somebody to cook today, and I don't have anybody. And so I need more people to work the shifts we have. That is a really hard position to be in. But at the same time, man, let's don't get to that spot. How right. do we keep recruiting? Right. You know, we've, we've talked about this with our clients. A lot. You know, bad clients drive out good clients. Bad employees drive out good employees. Stressful, cancer-type people Whatever in you want to organization. call organization. Yeah. yeah, they cause stress, and good people go, I don't deal with this crap. Them out. And so yeah. I think it is super important for you uh, as you grow. One of the things that we, I think, is really important as we think through this is having repeatable systems in your hiring process allows you to be objective and also measure the performance of how you're doing in hiring. So I can have a crappy in, uh, retention rate, but if I find out that well, only the people that Matt interviewed uh, are not working out, right? Well, that, that, I need to find out what's going on there. Or hey, Matt's re- when Matt interviews somebody, the retention rate is seven seven percent, and when Greg does it, and the system is followed every time, we're in we're only one of every twenty five hires is not working out.
2: Well, pull him off. That, the now I can panel. see well yeah.
1: Yeah, that or see where the flaw is going on there. Is he getting off system, or right. is he not doing objective? An-
2: another thing that you can absolutely do is your recruiter stats as well. Do that back from the recruiter. Oh yeah. Hey, how many how many good candidates are you giving me in a year?
1: Oh yeah. We we're, we're, we this is something we've done a lot better of. We still have room for improvement. Obviously, we have certain roles that are easier to fill than others, but getting uh, consistent, I'll say, feedback on the hiring process internally, like hey, we're not getting enough candidates, or we are getting candidates, but these are the these are the flaws we're having, or this is where ca- candidates are kind of falling short, um, allows us to kind of streamline our processes, and then that will allow us to. Um, hire better in the future. So we've seen that right now. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure to find good candidates. So you're trying to look at ways to speed up the process of hiring. Right, um, Those are kind of a barrier to our process because our process has some
2: rigidness towards it. And yeah. so we have to think through that. How do we accelerate the process up? But so since we've been talking, right, and so we, we've talked about, hey, you've got to have, You've got to have this definition. Mm -hmm. How did you start your definition way back when, when you started? Um, Well, in the
1: beginning, it was, I need an accountant. Are you an accountant? That was my first (laughs) question. No. Uh, Now, I mean, when we started this process way back when, it was, hey, what are the characteristics that we see in our best people? In our world, how can I repeat a Shelby Betts? How can I repeat a Greg Henderson? How can I repeat a Kim Pope or a Mike Schaefer? What are they doing really, really well in our organization that we think is why they are successful here? Let's put those on paper, and then as we're grading or as we're interviewing people, in theory, we're comparing them against our best people. Same lines, I think, hungry. Hey, somebody who's hungry here is somebody who is going to be successful here. Somebody who is humble here, which means they're coachable and they are the ability to learn, and they're an avid learner, and they're not afraid to make a mistake or challenge anybody or um, tell clients when they don't know something, which is important for us to have that level. And then people smarts. being able to deal with any type of person, dealing with conflict, dealing with uh, success, uh, taking compliments well. Um, you know, We have to push a client sometimes. We have to pull a client sometimes. You have to pat them on the back. You have to kick them in the ass. And you have to be able to do all those things well. And us having those those characteristics that we know will make us successful allows us to grade people against those and go. I know that you have to be overly have the ability to communicate exceptionally well in order to work here. Well, when you email me on your follow up to your interview and it's not coherent, now I have a scorecard, right? <laughs> or yeah hey, um, you have typos in your resume or um, you weren't able to articulate yourself in the interview very well. Those are all things that we're yeah. going to be able identify. I,
2: so I, it's fun going through this a little bit on the, on the backside to you know try to, to teach this to a new client. And what I told him was, while you're going through the interview process, the things that, that are really noteworthy you write down. And he, he kind of challenged me on that and said, what do you mean? I said, well, if your scorecard says one to five, guess what? Ones Good are boy. really noteworthy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that sucked, right? Why did you say that? Right. Fives are also noteworthy. Yep. If they're kind of in the middle, they're not really noteworthy, so they're just kind of average. Yeah. I said, if you kind of look at that. It's that, extremes, right? Yeah, And but you get it right, real quick. Hey, you know, I put myself through school.
1: In my world, I think of myself. I put myself through. Uh, uh, Karen, that we've had recently is like I put myself through school. I um, had this, this, and this happen to me personally. And here's what I've overcome. And you know, I went back to school at 22 and ended up getting my master's at 24. And I've still worked a full time job. And I go, hmm, this person has figured some stuff out. They're hungry. They want to go. They want to keep getting better. That's something I start to. Hey, there's some stuff there. That's right. Hey, uh, yeah. Um, my last boss sucked, and the boss before that sucked, and my job is terrible. And my, man, this isn't. So yeah, and yet. you know I'm they want go- me to work sixty hours a week. I mean, like, and- what's the work-life balance like? I mean, I, I, you know, how much PTO do we have? And, and I get all those things are super important, but if you're asking me that in in my interview, that's probably not something I'm thinking. Yeah, that's what I want to do is give you a bunch of PTO. I mean, I do want to give you a bunch of PTO, but I also want you to go. How do I learn more at this organization? Where, where's my path? You know, I expect people to have work-life balance, but I don't have that conversation really in an interview. I just don't. I don't know if that's the right way to think of it, but that's true. Matt, I, I'm <laughs> telling you,
2: Mike and I have been in interviews, and we ask that question, hey, how did you prepare for this interview? And believe it or not, some people are super honest. I just and applied they, online. They say, I did not. I like to go in fresh. And I'm like, well, that's that's noteworthy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. and that, So the follow-up
1: question is, why? Why do you like to go in fresh? That's right. And they may, well— I don't want any, pers- like, if they've thought it through, maybe I start to have another. I've part, but, but, like, smart, hey, yes. well, yeah, but I smart, little, yep. well, I apply for 40 places and I have six interviews today and, you know, it all yep. work out. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. You're G- super unhungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I, I don't really need a job right now. I'm independently wealthy and I don't want right. to really care about working that much. Uh, probably not the best answer. Right. So, if you were going to start somewhere, where do
2: you start? So, you, as an owner, You look at yourself. You look in the mirror and you say, what and do I really care about? There's your personal values, your personal belief system is going to represent what the company is that you own. Yep. And so that has to align from the beginning. And so I would start there. And then the, the cool thing is, is once you start having your core values, then you start realizing that there's some values that you hire for. And there's values that you fire for, and yep. there's values that you develop for. And so I think once you have that kind of base first, that core values first, then you can figure out the the rest.
1: Yep, agree, 1,000%. So your values turn into your scorecard. Your uh, characteristics of your best employees create your scorecard. And then you want to think through questions that uh, align with those and ways you can identify uh, problem areas in those those ways. Yep. And then you can start grading yourself against that scorecard.
2: Right. And the, the, the neat thing is Google reviews, testimonials from your clients, testimonials from your customers. Do they align with the values that you think is super cool for this company to have? If they're not, then you need to reassess. Maybe we're off a yep. little bit. Mm-hmm. But normally, you'll see those testimonials and the Google reviews solidify the values that you should have that okay. may already be there that you haven't just taken the time and written, yep. written them down.
1: thousand percent agree. The part for me that is intriguing about this is the stress you're bringing on when you have a person who's not going to work out for you and you can identify it, the sooner you can identify it, the better. And if you've let crazy in the building, um, that stress is going to permeate throughout the whole organization. And so that bad hire is not just a, you know, a financial bad hire. It's a culture bad hire. It's a... Stress, bad hire—it's a mic. You have to overmanage people that um, aren't performing. That is something that is uh, super draining on everybody, both all employees of your team, all yeah. your leaders, you as an owner. So it's imperative that you keep your uh, hiring processes as consistent and as tight as possible to make sure you're bringing the best people onto your organization.
0: Thanks for listening to the One Step Better podcast. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to us. we would really appreciate it if you would take some time to rate us five stars on your podcast player of choice and make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss out on another episode. Thanks and have a great day.